is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 16. My guest today is Rachel, who identifies as a gay, ethnically ambiguous female naval officer. Rachel prefers the pronouns she and her. Rachel, welcome to Your Own Voice. I'm so pleased to have you here. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm so happy to be here. So Rachel, before we begin, I think you'd like to say something. Yes, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to express that the views and opinions that I express within this environment are my own and not that of the United States military or the U.S. government. Thank you very much. So Rachel, how do you identify? For most people, they come up with a quick answer that they identify with an ethnicity or a nationality or a certain culture that they really hold on to or that they've grown up with. The way that I identify as is a gay, ethnically ambiguous female naval officer. What do you mean when you use the term ethnically ambiguous? So my dad was African-American and Native American, and my mom is French and Greek, uh, almost quarters of each. And with that kind of comes this ambiguity of culture. Growing up, we, we grew up Catholic, but we didn't have a huge sort of cultural background in any of the, the cultures that, that I named earlier. And where are you from, Rachel? So I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I'm curious, growing up in Michigan, in that particular state, which is pretty ethnically diverse, were your classmates and the kids in your neighborhood similar? Did they have a lot of different backgrounds, or were you unique where you were? There was a lot of diversity within my neighborhood. Uh, Some of them had been adopted by different families. There was a large community um, that had come from the Middle East, and they were. It was so cool to to be able to experience that culture growing up. Being biracial was still not as common. So, for me growing up, my hair was a little bit of an issue. Um, I had about fifty different shampoos that my mother would try because no one in salons or barber shops or anywhere that we would look would have the hair type that I had. So that was always something for me that marked me as a little bit different from the classmates that I grew up with was that there was a lot of diversity, but most of the diversity in these families came from a strong cultural background versus my own, which was definitely more of a melting pot. When in your life did you first become aware of different gender roles? Probably when I got into Girl Scouts, maybe. Uh, 
I think Girl Scouts has modified itself a little bit more, changed as it's come through the years, but it was a lot more of, you know, cooking or, you know, doing camping, but not too much, or you couldn't, you couldn't touch any sort of weapon, you couldn't shoot, uh, you couldn't learn any sort of really outdoors kind of things. And my brother, who is in Boy Scouts, four years older than me, he got to do all this this cool stuff that I wanted to do, like all these different camping trips and these Boy Scout camps. And I just remember thinking, why doesn't my organization, like why can't I do that? Because there were so many rules. I remember one specifically that if you were doing doing some sort of outing, you couldn't have trampolines because they were too dangerous. I am positive that's changed now. They, they've made leaps and bounds and it's the organization now is just amazing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I do remember that being one of those weird, quirky little rules. And I was like, wow, that's a bummer because <laughs> I like trampolines. Wow. I have to say, I've heard a number of Girl Scout stories, but that is a new one. <laughs> Did anyone in your family come from a military background? Yeah, so my dad was in Vietnam for about just about two years and then ended up getting out and then getting a job with with um, Ford. But then I also have an uncle who he's now retired, but he was a colonel in the army. Uh, He also served through Vietnam. And I have a couple of cousins that now are either officers or enlisted in the military. So it's a bit of a military background, but what's funny is that my mom didn't really want us to go in the military because, you know, the whole Vietnam thing, and she still grew up in that era too, on the other side of, of seeing the draft and, and seeing all of that kind of the horrors of war. But at the same time, a family friend recently led on to, to me that my dad would go and tuck us into bed and then when we were really little, and then he would just lean in and whisper, Naval Academy. <laughs> and I didn't believe him at first, but then I started thinking and I was like, yeah, that would be something that my dad would do. But lo and behold, both of us did go to the Naval Academy, so it worked. I guess you could say that certainly within your family, your father treated you both the same. This is not like a son is going to go and a daughter won't. No, correct. Yeah, that was something my parents were super extremely supportive of anything. Like I never felt that there was anything that I couldn't do um, because I was a girl. When did you come out? So that is actually a little more recent. Um, I came out probably when I was 26 or 27. So a little bit of, of a late Late bloomer, as they might say. (laughs) And so you were in the military when you came out. Yes. Um, But I guess I would say luckily for me, uh, I came out after Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Um, And I do know a lot of people that did live through that and had to either tiptoe around or just make sure that they weren't seen in public or seen by the wrong people. When Donas Antal was repealed in 2011, there were people on on the, the opposition side saying, "Oh, things are going to change. Like 
this is horrible and like we're going to figure out who who's gay in the military when in actuality most people already knew and no one cared no one said anything they had the opportunity to quote unquote turn them in but we all realized with within each other just in the military that we're all together i say in the navy we're all shipmates and that our orientation didn't have anything to do or didn't affect our job performance. What was the experience of coming out to your family like versus coming out to your military family? So for me, it was easy, which was great. I told my mom, but she was, she was fine with it. Um, she's been super supportive. My stepdad's been really supportive. So it's, it's been, it's definitely been a lot easier for me than some of my friends who unfortunately either were disowned or had to go through a lot with maybe not their immediate family, but with some of their, the external parts of their family. And in the military, it kind of just would come up. Like I never really did the whole big coming out story or like, Hey, everybody I'm gay. But it more just comes up in conversation and never had any sort of, at least with the friends that I have, never have had any sort of negative response or or sort of off-putting feeling. And I try to keep myself very open so that if people have questions, um, even questions that they may be afraid to ask other people, I, either they're afraid of offending or they're afraid of how the person will react I usually try and foster that type of communication so that that they understand as long as it's not coming from a place of like derision or coming from a place of of actual being rude then I am more than happy to answer any question or find out someone who would help me answer this question. What was it like being a woman at the Naval Academy? I think it's interesting because the way I phrase it is that I went to a fraternity, maybe the world's largest fraternity. Uh, at the time, if I can remember correctly, when I graduated in 2012, there were women probably made up equal to or less than, I think, a quarter of the graduating class. And so it's just very interesting to, to be kind of the, the minority in this culture where we still have kind of an issue with seeing women as being as tough as men or being as strong as men or as mentally uh, sharp in terms of academics and in terms of just the military life in general. For the most part, I can't remember anything specific that really stands out, but I do remember being harder on other women. And what I think that stems from is since you're such a minority still within that institution, you kind of see every woman as an ambassador of her gender, which is not not how you should. But if if someone did something wrong, instead of instead of looking at it in a lens of they're an individual, they make their own choices, 
it was more of how could she do this? She has ruined the the image of women at the Naval Academy and now that set us back years and all the guys are going to think that we're all like this or or things of that nature, which on the flip side never really happened with the guys. Because of that, we started to maybe police each other much more to to a standard that not necessarily unreachable, but unnecessary. And I'm curious, being a woman of color, even a woman of ambiguous, say it again, how you... Ethnically ambiguous. <laughs> being an ethnically ambiguous woman, do you still consider yourself to be a woman of color? You know, that's, that's also an interesting... My cousins, we'd go see them for different holidays. I always felt like I had one foot in the door or was was halfway across a line because they on both sides were able to either grasp onto some sort of culture or people who looked like them. In terms of the Naval Academy, I don't think I ever really experienced any sort of difference in terms of race because no one could really figure out what I was. I had a lot of people think I was Hispanic. I had a lot of people think that I was black. It's very interesting responses that I've gotten. I've had people come up from different countries and insist that I'm a native of whatever country they're from. So it'd be, it's, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, it is much more ambiguous of what culture would I fit into. Rachel, what issues of gender do you confront in the workplace? Or is it a non-issue for you? Something that is interesting and sad about coming into the military, and I found that this is pretty widespread, is that when when a woman goes into the military, and this is not for everyone, but I've heard it a lot, uh, that when she either enlists in the military or becomes an officer, there's usually someone who will kind of sit her down and go over what it means to be a female in the Navy or in the military in general. And a phrase that I've heard quite often is, as a woman in the Navy or in the military, you're either a bitch or a whore. And what that does is only gives you two dynamics to, I guess, work with. And so no one no one really wants to be known as either, but which one's the better one? Which one's going to make you get farther? Which which way do you have to go? Because there's such a hyper-masculine feel to it where the leadership traits that a lot of the times are valued are confidence, uh, they're being loud, standing up and projecting, uh, making yourself known, making yourself known as a leader. However, those words and those traits don't necessarily translate when it's a woman doing it. For example, if a man is called confident, a woman's called arrogant. If she's, if a man is exhibiting leadership skills, a woman's called bossy. And I still see that sort of attitude today in a lot of different aspects. It goes back to that point where we're seen as this kind of homogenous 
group rather than individuals. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have not heard that saying before. Is that more of a Navy thing or is that across the military? I think I've, I think people would say it's across the military. It might be worded a little bit differently. Mm. I'm sure people word them either nicer or not as nice, but people I've talked to have definitely felt that way. You've felt it at some point in your career that you have to just kind of bite the bullet and be called those horrible names while understanding that you are doing the same sorts of traits. You're exhibiting the same sorts of desired leadership traits, but because you are now competitive in line with the guys, because now you, you are working on that same scale, they see you more as a threat. And that's when kind of the, the words come out and the, the degrading comes out and they try and, and put you down and then use other words to describe you. Has the environment changed in this regard since Me Too? I think somewhat it has in two different forms. I think more people are aware of their surroundings and aware of maybe the repercussions that can come with with workplace harassment or, or things of that nature. Um, but I think it's also sparked a bit of a backlash in terms of it's even more reason to distance yourselves from your, your female compatriots because now, especially as the movement has stayed and hasn't really petered out, I think a lot of people are worried that something that they do is going to be taken the wrong way. It might, it might be completely innocent, but we've seen people get, get ragged on for putting their hands on someone's shoulder or for things that seem very innocuous, but you never really know. And so I think that that comes from a place of not understanding where that line is. To the best of your knowledge, is anybody being proactive to talk about it? I mean, sometimes when you have something that is really prominent in the culture, maybe, and if they don't, maybe this is a suggestion that they should, Mm -hmm. to bring folks together and say, okay, let's talk about this. You know, things are changing, norms are changing, and I can understand people being confused, and usually I would think one way of dealing with that confusion is to discuss it. Have you seen anything like that occur? It's a, it's a difficult question to, to think of because we throw, we like to throw training at everything. You know, something happens, let's do a safety stand down and make sure that no one ever does this again, do that training and then check in the box, which doesn't really work because people are just so desensitized to doing that type of trainings over and over again. Um, and I think really what it comes from and what affects that change is making those stories personal and having those discussions within either friend groups, within colleague groups, because I know something when we talk to men about engaging women and empowering women and how men and boys can be advocates, 
a lot of the the advocates that we talk to, we ask, so what what made you kind of change your mind or what made you want to do this? And their aha moments come from someone who is either close to them or something that they just didn't think about before. And I think that's the way to approach some of the the clouds surrounding the uncertainty of, of Me Too. Is there anything else you'd like to add? There are over 2 million female veterans. And yet, most people, when they think of veterans, they still think of men. Which, of course, men have made up the veteran force for quite a bit. But we're at the stage where there's a good percentage that are women. And even in uniform, we have people come up and say, thank you for your service. They'll say it, say it to the guys. But I've heard one too many stories of people being in a line all in uniform and someone thanks all the guys and then just skips the girl and continues on. And it's a very interesting kind of dynamic because you're wondering, are they doing it purposely? Are the, is it a malicious thing? Or is it just so ingrained in them that women aren't really still part of the military force or unconscious bias that has that effect? But it's very obvious to to us who are serving in uniform. I've been asked if I am a flight attendant, if I am a bus attendant, even if there's other men in uniform right next to me, pretty much the same uniform. Uh, So that's always a little bit off-putting. And even going into the Navy, I was told that I was too pretty to go into the Navy or, oh, are you trying to find a husband? I was asked once, can women kill people? And I just looked at him. But yeah, so it's, it is that invisibility, which is starting to become a problem as more female vets become older and some of the healthcare and the PTSD that comes with serving in combat zones, because women have served in combat zones, maybe not in the infantry positions, but medics, lawyers, they're there as they get older and have to, or they get out and have to deal with these issues it's harder for people to take them seriously. Your story that somebody would see a line of people and ignore the women and not thank them, it's such a small thing, but that is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I'm really sorry. And I hope, I sincerely hope that that changes because that's, there's no excuse for that. It's interesting in terms of talking with with people outside of the military because you get a much broader spectrum of people like in the military you kind of have maybe a good clue of of where they are in terms of understanding gender or gender within that subset of of work but when you broaden it up to the rest of the world to America it's very interesting to kind of see where people are. So I've met people that I mentioned gender and mentioned the societal and cultural norms and people, oh yeah, of course I know that. And then there's other people who, when you mention just the word gender, they're like, oh, so you mean like transgender? And at that point, you kind of understand where where they are in terms of understanding what work you do or things of that nature. And 
working with women, peace and security, a lot of people, when they hear the word women or they hear the word women or the phrase women's issues, it's almost sometimes a subconscious turn off of the mind where it's women and oh, nope, doesn't apply to me. That's not not my issue. It must be something with family or with babies or pregnancy, which also affects men. <laughs> but it's it's a very much an oh, that's a side issue. Or even when you talk to people who are heads of organizations or heads of great efforts and they don't make the connection of like, why are you talking to me about women? We have these horrible things that are happening in this country and we're trying to save it. So why would I care about women at this point? Why should I waste time trying to save money and lives when and talk about this soft issue? The term that I'm hearing today is diversity, inclusion, and equity. That you're hitting a lot of these topics, but it's not just about women or it's not just about fill-in-the-blank group. It's looking at things from a much broader approach. And that just came to mind as, as you were sharing that. Yeah, and I think it's important to to be able to discuss gender and to discuss women in a way that people are going to understand. And so putting it under, say, especially for the military, human security, or putting it under terms of diversity and inclusion, it gets people more on the hook to kind of understand more of the broad strokes and the, the broad arch and umbrella that all of this falls in. And so when we talk about human security, it's more intuitive to say that we need to look at all aspects of human security. We need to look at all aspects of, of life and the population and how everyone interacts with each other. And that gets them thinking. And people will say, you're right. We definitely have to do that. Human security is national security. Like, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we succeed? And that's when you bring in the, the gendered piece of it and say, well, it affects disaster and conflict affect men and women differently. And then with that, it becomes this, oh, you're right. You're right, it does. And that's kind of how you get your foot in the door and slowly push it open. <laughs> Sometimes it goes shut again, but you never know. <laughs> what do you think is possible today? that was not possible even a few years ago? I think that it's a lot easier today to talk gender and sexuality and sexual orientation a little bit more than it might have been a couple years ago uh, in terms of how fast the movement uh, for, for marriage equality kind of went through uh, America. And... It's very interesting because when you look back historically about certain topics that people thought were taboo to talk about, there's always a point where people say, oh, you can, we will never get to this point where you can talk about this issue. And if we look back and wow, of course, of course we can talk about that now. Asking questions, asking questions if, if the earth is round, people just, no, that's not something that's, it's widely known that the earth is flat. And 
yet now we look back and we see these scientific discoveries and we see just cultural change, historical change. And you think, oh, of course, of course the world is round. Why, how did anyone ever think that way? And I think we are slowly getting to that point where it will become sort of the same thing with sexual orientation. Like, of course there's there's sex, different sexual orientations. Like, why did we ever think everything was black and white? We're humans. We, we feel all these different emotions. We act differently. We're all individuals. And I think that movement will continue to progress. And I think the same with gender. Gender will continue to progress. And the societal norms, I think, are getting a little bit more blurred. And that's something that I think is great. We see more more people saying, you know, I don't care what society says. I'm going to wear this or I'm going to do this for fun. And so I think that's something that is a great positive step in the right direction. Is there some place in your life where you decided to push on anyway, even though gender expectations or gender norms said don't? I would think that probably that biggest push would be joining the military. Do come across people that will say, I don't think women should be in the military. Like, I don't think it's right. Or they're supposed to be taking care of children or different things of that nature. And even within the military, you still run into people and women who have this very interesting view of where women should stand. Even in the military, I've had women who have said that women are inherently peaceful. Or one of the more concerning ones was that once we decided that we needed to have equality and that we needed to be on the same footing as men, is about the time where we started getting less respect and about the time where we started getting harassed. And it was a very interesting point of view that women should be on this pedestal of they are the the nurturers and they are the mothers and they are the ones that that keep everything in order and by quote-unquote demanding education and demanding equal rights and saying that we can be just as good as the men we have set ourselves up for for this failure and for this like, of course the men are feeling emasculated and of course this happens to you. And of course this is because it's because you're, you're trying to be as good as them and they don't like it. How do you respond when somebody says that? For me, luckily this was, this was on, on kind of a, an internet forum. So I look at it and I breathe and I just hope I'd never meet this person in real life. However, what's good is that I see a lot of other women standing up and saying, that's not what happened. This has been happening for years, for centuries. This has always happened. No matter where we think we should stand, that does not dictate how we are treated. And that does not dictate what happens to us. And we try and stop that sort of victim blaming mentality that, that, that tend, that negative train of thought tends to foster. I used to think that with people like that, you couldn't change their minds and it was just better to laugh them off. I don't think that anymore. Mm. 
And I still think a lot of folks like that, you can't change their minds. But I think it's important to stand up and to draw a line in the sand that says, no, you cannot say that without consequences. That when people say things that are lies, we have to call them out as lies. If nothing else, than to make them think twice before they say it in public again. Mm -hmm. And whether we change their minds or not is kind of beside the point. I think it comes from me still not ever wanting to rock the boat or have people angry at me. Uh, That's just part of my personality is I like to try and mediate and I like to try and, and get people talking and keep voices good. But for me, I do have visceral reactions to that type of way of speaking. And so I've definitely had times where I've typed out this long thing and then deleted or typed out again and kind of stepped back. And how much of my time and energy do I want to to like think about to stew on this? Especially with this particular person, it's quite, quite a lot. And I like to be of the mindset that you can educate people, but I think you have to do it in person for me at least, in person, educating, to see the face, to see their to- hear their tone is the only way that I'm going to be able to get through. So with the internet, I'll let the other <laughs> champions take it. And that's really fair. That's really fair because it, it's true. I don't engage in an anonymous forum. What I said before, I really meant in person. Mm-hmm. At the same time, one can at least write a sentence or two that says, just flagging for the rest of the people watching that that's completely untrue. Not going to engage, but that is a lie. Thinking about it from that standpoint and understanding that there, you might know it's factually incorrect, but other people reading, especially ones who are on the fence might not. And that might be the difference of them believing some like small little things, which lead up to bigger inaccuracies or having it nipped in the bud where they realize that there are more than one side or more than one viewpoint to this issue. But so you're you're completely correct in in engaging in that at least to not engage the person but to clarify the facts. So Rachel, is there something you would like to see regular people start doing now to make a change around gender in the United States? I think a big part of understanding and being able to explain gender and explain what it means is to have empathy and to understand that there are different views. People have lived different lives and understanding that maybe something that might not have happened to you doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to somebody else. Understanding the experiences that some people have and something that I think about is that you can never really tell someone they're wrong for what the experience they've told you because you haven't lived their life. You don't, you don't know what they've been through or what they've grown up with. And to understand that helps to see why this matters and what the barriers are to all of us being able to walk out the door and to feel safe, no matter who you are. 
So Rachel, is there anything else you would like to add, either picking up on something that we already discussed or something that I haven't brought up yet? I just want more people and I hope more people can do the things that they they secretly want to do. If you know the internet forum Reddit, yeah, great place, a lot of news, like a lot of cool things that happen. But there's there's these forums where people can ask questions. And one of them is men and women of Reddit, if you could do anything and not be judged, what would you do? And guys are like, oh, I would go to the spa or I would see what it feels like to get my nails done or I would do all this different stuff. And women have the same sort of thing where the only reason that they can't is because of those societal and cultural norms that are invisibly, but because of them, like physically, holding them back from from doing fun things and things that they want to do. So for me, I kind of just say, take care of yourself. And mental health is a huge thing that we have put a lot of men at a disadvantage by making mental health such a stigma. And women too, but it's just such a a sad thing to see, especially with veteran PTSD suicides. Um, But yeah, I, I think it's extremely important to blur those lines. And if you want to wear a dress, you wear a dress. If you want to wear a kilt or pants or whatever you want to do, just do it and be yourself. And the more people see that, the more desensitized they get to seeing people and the more that they see people happy and not caring. And they realize even for themselves that it's okay. You don't have to be that steak and potatoes person or you don't, you can like salads if you want. You can use reusable bags and recycle. Um, so that's that's the big thing is just continue on breaking the gender norms and have fun with it. Excellent. Excellent. By the way, it's funny you should mention the bags. I was just thinking of that. Did you see that article today that mm-hmm. said men won't use reusable bags because people will think they're gay? Exactly. And I was like, what? Blew my mind. But at the same time, it didn't. Because I was just thinking, yeah, I could see that people get so ingrained in that mentality of not wanting to be perceived. And that's that's kind of another big issue is they don't want to be perceived as, quote unquote, being gay, where that sexual orientation is seen as a negative when it's just an orientation. To see an article like that, it's, it's almost like those satirical pieces where you slowly realize it's not satire and then you kind of just get a little bit sad. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, No, I think that's everything. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming over. It has been a great pleasure talking with you and I really appreciate you sharing your own personal experience and perspective. Thank you so much again for having me. It's been it's been a great conversation and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight, music by Kevin McLeod. I see each conversation as an adventure and I love being surprised by where we go. If you found you had any questions during the conversation, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, 
yourownvoice.org contact. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well. Thank you.